We are at a pivotal moment in history. As Americans, we must go beyond awareness and truly understand how sex trafficking is a part of many people's stories. This is an epidemic that knows no bounds. It reaches into all parts of our society and presents itself in many different ways. Trafficking is an issue that impacts individuals from all social classes, races, religions, and zip codes. Sex trafficking is not human smuggling. It is modern-day slavery, and it does not require moving a person out of the place they reside. Sex trafficking is the commercial sexual exploitation of an individual through force, fraud, or coercion. Many individuals trafficked as an adult were also trafficked as a child, and there is no such thing as child prostitution. Any child used for commercial sex, including pornography, is a victim of sex trafficking. Of the hundreds of thousands of Americans victimized each year, only 1% are ever identified because few people understand what sex trafficking looks like in the United States. Many believe that sex trafficking is an overseas issue or is the same as human smuggling. Therefore, to eradicate this epidemic, our solution has to be more than focusing solely on sting operations through law enforcement. We must increase victim identification through awareness, training, and reporting. As community members, we must report suspected trafficking because regardless of the outcome, you will never be at fault for reporting suspicious activity. I'm on Watch is a free training to help people become more aware of sex trafficking. I'm on watch.org. Again, a free training. Julie Whitehead, who because of her experience is one of the modules of this training. He ended up trafficking me for five months throughout the Western states, and I believe over the border into Mexico. It was just a nightmare. I saw other women, children being trafficked and abused. It was like, uh, I don't know, like a whole different aspect of the world opened up, something I didn't even know was there before. Like I said, I never had any knowledge of trafficking. I didn't even know that's what was happening to me. I just thought, what world have I dropped into? And that was a horrific ordeal. And at the end of five months, I just got very, very lucky. He made me meet with his employer, do some business for him that he thought he couldn't transact as well as I might be able to. And his employer actually saw me and was like, uh, I just have this gut feeling that something's not right. Can I help you? I, I was kind of at my wit's end and I just needed to trust somebody and I took a chance and trusted him and thank goodness he was such a wonderful person. He, I credit him with saving me and helping me escape. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders. Julie Whitehead is back with us and I'm so excited because your book is out. Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for having me back. So how does it feel to have a book? Wow, it's strange. It's something I always dreamed of doing when I was little. Of course, I never thought I'd write about this topic. It feels scary and amazing all at the same time. Her book is called Shadowed, How I Became the Sex Trafficked Mother Next Door. And I am so excited to read it, even though I've heard your story. What do you hope to accomplish with this? This all came about four years ago. I was sitting in a meeting with the Maloof Foundation founders. I told them my story for the first time outside of therapy, and it was terrifying, and I didn't know how to tell it yet. I wasn't familiar with it, so it was all scary, and I was like kind of in flashback mode the whole time, And but I got through it, and at the end of telling my story, I just felt this relief 
I looked at Diamond Casey Maloof and I said, what is the number one thing I can do with my story to make the biggest impact? Like, I want to use it. I know that I want to use it somehow to make an impact. What would that be? Because I had no idea. And they both at the same time looked at me and they said, share it, share your story. So that's kind of where it started. And then, wow, four years later, here it is in a book form. One of the things that you do is you have a module on the I'm on Watch training center on how to recognize and spot sex trafficking. I remember when I first met you, just it's so hard to look at you and think that you went through this, like that this could be happening next door. That's probably, in my opinion, the power of it, because so often people get misjudged or misunderstood to think if we were to recognize something maybe that you talked about, we might actually be able to help someone. Yeah, definitely. So if you watch my module in IamOnWatch.org, you'll notice that most of the time I was dressed inappropriately for the weather and that type of thing. So there were some pretty big key indicators that people could have looked for. The one thing that I wish I would have put in there a little bit more is the times that I was dressed just completely normal because there were plenty of times I was seen with my trafficker and I was just in my regular clothing. And so that wouldn't have been quite as a visible sign. So it's just super important. But if you watch all the modules, you'll get all of that, of course. But yeah, this can be your neighbor. This can be someone down the street, someone at school with you. Just This can be happening to anyone anywhere. That's what's so terrifying about it. And I think with the book, my number one goal was to create awareness of that problem because before it happened to me, I would have been completely ignorant to it. I had no idea what sex trafficking was. I was not on the lookout for anybody. I didn't have a clue about it. And then it happened to me. I feel like I'm just this normal person, you know, and this horrible thing happened to me. And yeah, it's happening everywhere. So the more people that know about it, the better. In your book, do you just go right to the story or is it a training? How How is the book set up? So the book starts out while I'm being trafficked with a couple of stories and then actually moves quickly into my rescue and escape. And then something really important to know, it's not like I went from one day being this completely, I don't want to use the word normal, but you know what I mean, just like completely happy-go-lucky person to the next day being in the back of a semi-truck being trafficked. My life kind of took some turns, twists and turns that I don't want to say led me to trafficking because it's not like one plus one equals two, but they definitely made me more vulnerable and traffickers exploit vulnerabilities. My book then goes through and tells you how I became vulnerable to being trafficked and ultimately being taken advantage of and exploited like that. The same thing on the flip side is you don't get rescued and everything's fine. It That's a process as well, right? Yeah, exactly. You're right. I do talk about that too at the end of the book about the healing process and journey. And it's definitely, everybody calls it a journey when they talk to me. And I'm like, that's a really good word for it because I think it's a lifelong journey actually, but it's not something that you just pop in one day and do the work and then you're done. Just to be completely honest with you, I was struggling this morning. I was sick in bed for several hours and that's just 
me dealing with the trauma. And I, I do that all the time. Like I'm still working really hard to recover from it. And it's something I'll always be working on, but I definitely feel like I'm far enough along that I can start to maybe use my story in a positive manner. And there's a price to pay for it, but it's so worth it to me. So do you want to kind of share your story? Sure, I could do that. I'll just go in order to make it easy. When I was really young, like three or four years old, I'm not exactly sure, I began being sexually abused by my father, actually. And that lasted well into my teen years. That really that really had some negative consequences for me, obviously. I didn't feel appropriate boundaries. I felt like my body was there to please a man. And so going into dating, I kind of took those attitudes with me of like, I am here to please somebody. I am their property, not necessarily a a partner. And so I had some really, really negative things going into dating and I dated really fast. I really wasn't that interested in dating. It just kind of happened because my friend was dating. She set me up with somebody and I never, truthfully, never really liked him, but I didn't feel it was my place to make a judgment like that. It was like whoever was in front of me had the rights to me. And it's kind of hard to understand. I explain it more in the book, but it's just a sad mentality from what I had gone through my experiences in childhood that kind of set me up that way. And so I was with this man for 12 years. We were married, had three children. I got really, really depressed during the marriage. It was not a healthy marriage by any stretch of the imagination. It was really abusive. And it just kind of kept escalating and escalating in the abuse. And a lot of it was psychological abuse and mental torture. And it turned more physical toward the end. But I um, attempted suicide in 2007. At the end of that, the tail end of that, my then husband told me no more of this, like you're drawing too much attention to us. He was so worried that people would think that it was his fault, which technically it was, but I wasn't able to tell anybody that at the time because he threatened to take the kids away if I did anything like that. So it's just this big mess. The way I decided to deal with it rather than because I couldn't be sick anymore, but I obviously wasn't cured in a day. I decided to get a job teaching preschool. I could take my kids with me. We could be out of the house away from my then husband. It would give me a purpose in life. Not that being a mom wasn't enough, but just to kind of fulfill my days and take my attention. And so I started teaching there. And long story short, one of the fathers of the kids in my class started paying me a lot of attention. And he claimed that he knew something was wrong at home. And I was just kind of unnerved by that. I didn't know how he would know that. And he kind of stalked me a little bit for a little while. And I told my boss about it. And she actually asked him to leave the preschool and not come back. And he did so. We didn't see him again. I didn't hear from him or even think of him again until eight months later, I was sitting in the police station, my then husband having been arrested for domestic violence. I got this text out of the blue that said, I know something's not right. I, I know you're not okay. And I'm here to help. Yeah, I was just totally taken off guard with that. I kind of didn't have time for it. You know, I was in the police station and I was upset. And later that evening, I got another text and he just said that he had been inspired by God to reach out to me at that moment, that he knew I needed him. And this was the, the father of the preschool student that had been banned from the preschool. 
I didn't have family support at the time. My my world was really, really small. I didn't really have friends in it. Only support was my parents, and they had kind of sided with my ex-husband. When this man approached me and offered his friendship and just comfort and help, I took it. I snatched it, and I really thought, this is my guardian angel, the guy I've been looking for my whole life. Here he is in the flesh. Well, two weeks later, he raped me. He completely, it was like a light switch had been flipped. He was a completely different person. He was controlling and aggressive and abusive in all these different ways. He ended up trafficking me for five months throughout the Western states. And I believe over the border into Mexico, it was just a nightmare. I saw other women, children being trafficked and abused. And it was like, uh, I don't know, like a whole different aspect of the world opened up, something I didn't even know was there before. Like I said, I never had any knowledge of trafficking. I didn't even know that's what was happening to me. I just thought, what world have I dropped into? And that was a horrific ordeal. And at the end of five months, I just got very, very lucky. He made me meet with his employer do some business for him that he thought he couldn't transact as well as I might be able to. And his employer actually saw me and was like, uh, I just have this gut feeling that something's not right. Can I help you? I, I was kind of at my wits end and I just needed to trust somebody. And I took a chance and trusted him and thank goodness he was such a wonderful person. He, I credit him with saving me and helping me escape and He's been by my side. He's actually my husband now. Together, we fought my trafficker in court, and he's since been deported from the United States. Won back custody, partial custody of my children that I lost during the time I was with my trafficker. And so, yeah, wrapping it up, I've been in therapy now for about six years and probably in therapy for the rest of my life, and that is okay. I'm just grateful to be on this side of it hoping to help others. I thought was really tough is that you didn't know that's what was happening to you. I think there might be people listening that might be in a similar situation and they they don't recognize that it's actually trafficking. Like maybe they just think it's their boyfriend or... Sure. I actually talked myself into the fact, or not the fact, but I talked myself into the narrative that he was my boyfriend. It was too much for me that he had raped me and that I was now in another abusive relationship. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that. I couldn't accept it. Denial kicked in and I thought, okay, well, we've slipped into a relationship now. And then when he would take me and traffic me, I I referred to it as him sharing me. I even said that to him once. I'm like, are you going to share me again? And he said, yeah, I'm going to share you. And he just kind of laughed at it. That's what I convinced myself it was, was that he was a really crappy, to say the least, boyfriend who was sharing me with people. And yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people that are in what they think is a relationship or what they've decided is a relationship and really he's trafficking her or he's trafficking him or she or who or whatever because this is happening to everyone everywhere. Okay, the sex trafficking hotline is 888-373-7888. I was in downtown Seattle and I, I think I saw something happening and this guy came up to these girls and it seemed really off and I was getting on the bus and I just didn't know what to do. And I've always felt bad about that. Maybe it was nothing, but had I known there was a hotline and I called, maybe, do you think they'd rather get a call of it not being 
than missing a call of it being something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've heard people say that before. Uh, they'd rather get 100 calls that end up not being trafficking rather than miss one that is. You'll never be in any sort of trouble or you'll never be questioned for making a report. And if you do feel like it's more of an emergency, then call the local police or 911. And again, there too, you won't be in trouble. You Like for me, I was seen so many times with my trafficker in bad situations where he was pulling me by the hair or dragging me into a vehicle or something like that. And, or we were fighting verbally. Other people saw that, but I think they just, in their minds, it was like, that's none of my business. You know, I should turn the other way. I shouldn't get involved. And they didn't get involved. Nobody ever called, to my knowledge. And so I think sometimes we think that it's not our place, but it is our place to watch out for those who are vulnerable in our societies and in our own communities and to keep our community safe. And so, yes, definitely call. And I think we think of uh, sex trafficking, A, in other countries, or B, we think of it maybe in the drug community or the homeless community. But to think you were a preschool teacher in a nice neighborhood and this happened to you. Yeah, I lived in a nice middle upper class neighborhood. I taught preschool there. I personally before would have thought trafficking would, yes, be either in a third world country or on the wrong side of the tracks kind of thing, you know, where somebody who's already living kind of a risky lifestyle. But that's not it at all. Yes, I was in an abusive relationship that made me vulnerable for it but I was just your typical mother next door I was buying groceries going to the library going to the park with my kids and that's what's really scary about it is I know of people who they find out later that their own daughters have been trafficked and they're living under the same roof it's not something that just happens to other people even if it does just happen to other people we need to be looking out for them we always hear in domestic violence why don't they just leave which makes me crazy because we know that the abuser has control what kind of control does a trafficker have over his victim that keeps them from being able to ask for help it's very similar to domestic violence actually it's kind of hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been there doesn't understand that but the chains like there were times when I was physically restrained by my trafficker and I I like to explain to people those times were easier although I couldn't physically get away that was easier an easier problem to have than the mental chains that he had on me that I could not break and no matter where I went they went with me he threatened violence against not only me of course me but my children and my parents, and he threatened to upset the custody battle that I was going into, which he did. My trafficker really came through with almost all of his threats except killing me or hurting my loved ones. So there's threats of that. There's sometimes financial abuse, a lot of times financial abuse. They either tear you down or maybe you're already torn down from a previous relationship where they can emotionally abuse you, make you believe you're reliant on them when you're not. Well, sometimes you kind of are in a sense. You can become reliant on them. But it's a lot of the same things as we see in domestic violence, but it's those mental chains that really keep you held. And so when you got free and you went to counseling, you had to sort of almost like deprogram. Yeah. Yeah. I I went into therapy in denial. I thought, oh, I have a little anxiety and depression. <laughs> and uh, 
I was looking at counselors who specialized in that, and I quickly found out that's not quite what I am in need of. Fairly quickly decided that I needed a trauma-based therapy. That was not because I had admitted to everything, because at the time I hadn't. I had just admitted that I had been in abusive relationships. I still called the trafficking a relationship at that time. It wasn't until I was deep into therapy, 13 months in, that I finally disclosed some of the details around my trafficking. And my therapist said, oh, honey, there's something you've been through. It has a name. What you've been through is called sex trafficking. And kind of liberating to know that it was a thing, kind of awful to know it was a thing too. Yeah, I didn't want to think that that had happened to anybody but me. It was so awful. But yeah, it took a lot of, it took a lot of therapy just to get to the point where I could even know what I had been through. I think that's so good for people to know, especially people that have family members that maybe this has happened to, that it's all such a process of coming out. And I like that you said denial, because I think it's really easy to be protective, like, I don't know if it would be embarrassment or shame or what the thing is, but they have such a hold over you that we will think people will hate us. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he told me I didn't know that I would never have labeled it as sex work that he had me doing. But I mean, ultimately, I guess if I thought about it for more than two seconds, that's what I would have decided it was too busy just trying to stay alive. But he told me that I would be as in as much trouble as he would be if we were found out that I would be just as responsible. And I was so beaten down and so scared and so in over my head that I believed him. And here you have kids. So you think I can't come clean with this because I have kids and I'll lose them too. And exactly. He was awful in so many ways, but he took videos of a lot of my abuse and pictures And he always threatened to use them. Well, he did one day. He printed them out and put them on under the windshield wipers of all the cars at my kids' elementary school. Pictures of me in a compromising position. And so, yeah, he he was all about following through on his threats. So it was very scary. Every time I hear it, I'm so glad that you got free. I'm so sad you went through that. But what do you think gave you the courage to tell his boss, yes, something's off? I mean, that took a lot of courage when you said he drug you by the hair and he, you know, had done all these things. Yeah, I kind of feel like a little guilty taking too much credit for it. I was really worn down and I felt like I didn't have much more to lose. I'd already lost custody of my children. At this point, I was living in uh, an apartment with my trafficker coming and going and bringing all sorts of people in. And and my life was just hopeless and awful. And so I kind of felt just worn thin, like there's nothing else he can do to me. So in some ways it was a little bit of desperation, but I really, really credit my now husband who was so just genuinely concerned and to just stop the madness and to just say, he could have just gone along with it just fine. But for him to stop and say, something doesn't feel right to me. Like this doesn't feel right in my stomach. Like what is actually going on? Can I help you? And to have somebody just be that real with me and see me for who I was and not just go along with the charade, that made all the difference. Yeah. So he really trusted his instinct. Yes. I think often maybe someone who's trafficked may not immediately agree. Like even we see this with kidnap victims like Elizabeth Smart. Your organization is paired up with hers, right? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's awesome. And I remember her saying when the police asked who she was, she had been so brainwashed that he would kill her parents that she didn't even want to tell the police the truth. It's a huge, it's such a burden, this burden that they put on you and they know they're doing it. Uh, You're responsible for your loved one's lives. And I mean, if you really think about that, it might be one thing to say it, but if you really, really think about that, if you act wrong or if you step out of line, this could mean your loved one's lives. Like that is a huge burden and a huge responsibility. I know I understand where she's coming from when she had that happen. I did it myself. I had times and places where I was at a police station with my trafficker, you know, and you would think, why? Why didn't you just scream out and yell to them? But when you have that burden of protecting your loved ones, you'll do what it takes to protect them. And so it's very hard to go against that. And it sounds like he proved it to you. You said often he held true to his promise. So you knew what he was capable of and believed him. Yeah, exactly. I did. I saw, I witnessed him hurt other people and I just totally believed he would do what he said. So Julie's book is called Shadowed. How I Became the Sex Trafficked Mother Next Door. Julie, is there anything that we've missed that you wanted to talk about? The biggest things are awareness of knowing that sex trafficking is happening all around us and it can be the PTA volunteer next next door to you like I was. Uh, it can be anybody. So I think we all need to be have our eyes opened and keep an eye out for those who might be in that position. Also with domestic violence and childhood sexual abuse, all those things we need to be on the lookout for. If you have any questions about what sex trafficking looks like and you want to know real world situations and what to look for, go to IamOnWatch.org. That's a great training. It's free. It's one hour. It could change and save somebody's life. And then we can find your book where? Oh, it's on Amazon. It's at BarnesandNoble.com. And you can find it at the Malouf Foundation also. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.